On January 10, 1980, I was asleep in the night when I was awakened by a strong trumpet-like voice sounding in my ear saying the following words, Hartford, Seattle, KWJS. I jumped out of bed and wrote KWJS on a notepad. It seemed obvious to me that those were call letters to either radio or television. That morning I looked up KWJS and found it to be a radio station. I said to God, are you telling me to go on radio? I wouldn't know how to do that. I'm a writer, not a speaker. I heard immediately, call the radio station manager. As soon as the business office was open that morning, I called and asked to speak to the radio station manager. I told him God might be leading me to go on radio, and I asked him, how would you do that? He said, make an audition tape 29 and a half minutes long, send it to him, and if I fit his broadcasting, they would offer me a contract. Within approximately five days from that day, I was broadcasting on that station, presenting exhortations to the church. By the way, I made that recording the same morning that the radio station manager told me to make the recording. I don't like to wait when I've heard a word which I'm sure is from God. It just gives devils opportunity to try to persuade you not to do what you've heard to do. I like to close the door on devils by acting rapidly when I'm sure it is the Spirit of God speaking to me. I had never heard a religious-type radio broadcast before I made the tape. And I have not heard one since then either, and that was 1980. God has shown me to just keep myself in the Bible, and He will speak to me and teach me, and I am to speak what I hear from God. My calling is apostle-prophet. Apostle basically means that you're anointed to deal with doctrines and scriptures. Prophet means you're going to be delivering messages of God to the church, often correction messages, sometimes messages which show them the way to go in the future, the things that are coming upon this earth and how important it is for them to make adjustments. The radio work spread rapidly, and within a few months, I was on radio from New York City to Seattle and Los Angeles, with several cities in between. My pastor at that time was Robert Tilton at Word of Faith. Bob told me about his advertising agency, Michael Ellison, and said I needed to sign with this agency. Bob said, quote, they can really do you a lot of good, end quote. Then I found out they were representing Kenneth Copeland, Marilyn Hickey. They had been Jimmy Swaggart's representative. 
I did sign with that agency. They had a large staff of agents and assigned one agent to me. He came to Dallas to meet with me and make suggestions, which were really commandments. <laughs> they didn't do suggestions, but I didn't know that. They were very sophisticated and low-keyed and subtle. As we met, the agent said to me just one thing. We would like you to add the following to all your envelopes and writings. Send me your prayer request. I replied, ooh, I don't want to do that. That shocked the agent. I was horrified at this idea. I really hate all of this send me your prayer things. You're supposed to pray. You have as much power with God as I do. If you pray according to the will of God, your prayer will be answered. That's in 1 John chapter 5. You have really almost more power with God than I do because I don't know that I can pray an effective, fervent prayer for you because I don't feel it the way you feel it. You need to pray. I wouldn't even think of asking you to send prayer requests. And when people ask me to pray for them, I usually say, you need to pray. You pray. Pray according to the will of God. So I was horrified at this idea. And I told the um, agent that I didn't want to do that. He was very shocked. And he said, you don't? And I said, no. They should pray directly to God through Jesus. And there was a pause filled with silence. Then the agent said, Well, Joan, you're missing a good bet. For when they send a prayer request, they usually slip some money into the envelope. It was a fundraising gimmick, but I never did it. I never did that. The agent told me that they gave a new car to both Kenneth Copeland and his wife, and when I got bigger, they would do the same for me. They were making so much money off of Copeland and their clients because the agency had a deal worked out with the radio stations that whatever amount of money you paid for broadcast, they got 15% of it. The station in Dallas was $800 a month, but the station in New York City was $2,400 a month. And most stations that I was on at that time were over $1,000 a month. So you can imagine how much money they were making off of Copeland with his radio and television stations. So of course they could afford to give him and his wife a new car. Uh, they never gave me a new car because I didn't get that far with them. They threw me out of the agency after about four months when they couldn't control me. Concerning Copeland's new car, I heard Copeland at the time say, a man gave me a new car. But he didn't tell them that it was his advertising agent. Hypocrisy. Pretense. One of their 
requirements in the agency was that their client should never offend anyone on his broadcast. (laughs) I'm a prophet. Prophets are always offending people. That's their job. Let's look what Jesus look at what Jesus said about prophets. Matthew chapter 5 verse 11. Blessed are ye when men shall revile you and persecute you and say all manner of evil against you falsely for my sake. Rejoice and be exceeding glad for great is your reward in heaven for so persecuted they the prophets which were before you. The church people were always killing prophets. They did terrible things to Jeremiah, to all of the prophets of the Old Testament. They pursued Isaiah and Ezekiel and Elijah. Jezebel was going to kill Elijah. He had to flee into the country because she was going to kill him because he had killed the prophets of Baal. 450 prophets of Baal, her prophets. So she was going to kill Elijah. They always kill the prophets, the church people, the religious people, because prophets are sent to the religious people to bring correction to them. So it's impossible for a prophet to speak a message from God without offending church people. Why, prophets are going to say if the woman remarries after divorce, she commits adultery. And of course, that's going to infuriate them. They hate that message. We speak it because it's what the scripture says. If you will look at Romans chapter 7, verses 1 through 3, it talks about that. The woman is bound to the law of her husband. Therefore, if she should marry another man while her husband liveth, she commits adultery. Churches explain this away by saying, we no longer go by the law. Paul was speaking Romans chapter 7 to the New Testament church, and yet they throw everything he said out and approve divorce and remarriage for women. Well, a prophet won't accept that. The prophet will speak that which the Bible says. And the prophet will speak that which God says to the prophet. And some of the things are not popular. For example, right now, at this time, 2020, when we are having this coronavirus problem, one of the things God I believe it's God who has me speak to you is get out of debt and stay out of debt. Surely you can see this. Look at what's happening. One of the things that amazes me, when I watch a television report and they tell about the people who are coming to the food bank because they have left their jobs. I've been watching this on television since March 11th, when all of this began to happen in the United States. I've been watching all these months, and I've seen the lines of cars 
that come to the food bank to get the free food. Never in the television report to this date have I seen an old car. All of the people have bright, shiny, new cars as they come to pick up food. What does that tell me? These people are living in debt. And they think it's fine. They'll pay the debt off with their next paycheck. They'll make their monthly payments. Many of them are enticed into buying new cars which they can't afford. They are enticed by the zero percentage interest for a season. They never stop and think, now what will happen if that job disappears? Well, we're seeing it happen right now. You can't go the way you've gone in the past if you are living the way of the world, which is a way of death. You may not want to hear this message. This message may be unpopular with you, but it's a prophet speaking. And speaking for your good, if you can do the message. That's what prophets do all the time. Herod killed John the Baptist because John the Baptist told Herod it was not lawful for him to marry Herodias because she had been married to the brother of Herod. She was an adulteress. From that moment, Herodias started planning the death of John the Baptist. We read in Matthew 14 that Herod really didn't want to kill John the Baptist, but for the sake of his oath, which he said he would give, Herodias, his daughter, who danced for them, half his, up to half of his kingdom because she pleased him. And what did she want? Well, she went away to her mother and said, What should I ask for? And the mother said, The head of John the Baptist. So she came to Herod and said, Give me the head of John the Baptist in a charger. Well, Herod was sorry. But for the sake of his oath and what he had promised and told men at that dance, he sent and had John the Baptist beheaded. He would have been better off to deny his word and say, No, I'm not going to do that than to kill John the Baptist. But the prophets are always being killed, persecuted and killed. That's what happens to prophets. And it's the church who does it. So the agency, one of their requirements was that I never offend anyone on my broadcast. Certainly, Robert Tilton, my own pastor, said you should never tell anyone that you are a prophet because it is not popular. Yet, Tilton himself was one of the people who said that I am a prophet. And he said it from the pulpit about me. The agency told me they could fill Soldiers and Sailors Auditorium in Pittsburgh. All I had to do was to be sure I never offended anyone. They said they would go into the city a week or so before my meetings and recruit pastors to get these pastors 
to send their congregations to my meetings. I had no doubt they were able to do this. I had seen what they'd done with Kenneth Copeland, Marilyn Hickey, Jimmy Swaggart, Robert Tilton. This is the way people get to be big time is by being promoted this way by their agent. Another requirement they had for me was before I would send out any written materials, I would have to send it to the agency for them to approve the message. You can't do that. A prophet can't do that. Well, a minister can't do that. No one can do that. No man can control the message that God speaks. Even if you are an evangelist, pastor, teacher, that should not be happening. But a prophet, it could never happen for a real prophet to do that. And when I told them I could not do this, they released me. I was devastated, thinking that I had failed. But God brought Matthew 4, 8 to my attention, showing me the truth from his eyes. I had not failed. I had passed a test. Matthew 4, 8. Well, it started verse 8. It goes through verse 11. Again, the devil taketh him, Jesus, up into an exceeding high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of this world and the glory of them and saith unto him, All these things will I give thee if thou wilt fall down and worship me. Obey him. Then Jesus saith unto him, Get thee hence, Satan, for it is written, Thou shalt worship the Lord thy God, and him only shalt thou serve. Well, this was exactly what was happening to me. They showed me all of the kingdoms of the ministry world and how they had made these other ministers great and famous, and they would do the same thing for me. All I had to do was obey them. I couldn't do it. And I really thought I had failed. But I hadn't failed in God's sight. I had done the things that prophets have done all of the centuries. And that is lay down your life in order to present the word of God. You have to keep yourself free in order to present the word of God. You can't be controlled by anyone when you are a prophet. If you are controlled by anyone, they will try to get you to pervert the message. For the natural man doesn't see like the spiritual man. And many people in churches are natural men. They don't have the spirit of God. We who call to the office of a prophet are appointed by Jesus to do this work. And we have to speak the truth of God. And the truth of God often offends a person. It was a very difficult period of time for me back in the early 80s. But today I see it as a very narrow escape. And I rejoice that I continued faithful to God in spite of the loss of glory and fame and money because many people 
left me. Thousands, really, of people left me. A handful of people remained with me at that time. After that, God showed me Antichrist in the churches. Where the churches departed from certain scriptures in order to please the congregation. Also, churches departed from certain scripture because it didn't make sense to them to say the man who marries a divorced woman commits adultery. Matthew chapter 5, verse 32, that's what Jesus said. But that doesn't make any sense to the world. That doesn't make any sense to the natural man. And so the churches changed the doctrine to be different from the Bible. The minute they changed the doctrine, Antichrist moves in to the churches through through a spirit and takes over, and another scripture will be changed, and another, and another, and another, until it is almost unrecognizable that it is a church. I've often had people say to me, Things at church are so watered down today. The message is so watered down that nothing much happens. Well, that's exactly true because Antichrist moved into the churches. That had to happen before Jesus returns. Later, God showed me that and it caused me to be greatly relieved because I saw the reason for all the disobedience inside the churches. I had grieved about it For 20 years, when pastors would not change and repent. But when I saw that this had to happen before Jesus could return, I no longer grieved over them. It was something that was going to happen. Now, I didn't stay in those churches. I left them when I saw them depart from the Bible. Or when I went to try to find a church and I couldn't find one to attend, because they had perverted scripture. I knew I couldn't change them. The only thing I could do was leave them. But it was ordained by God to happen, and that makes all the difference in the world. In the book of Revelation, during the Great Tribulation, all of the horrible things that God brought upon this earth, men cursed God because of the things that God sent upon the earth, the great heat that scorched men and hurt men. They cursed God, but not one of them repented. We see that throughout the book of Revelation. Antichrist does not repent. When we understand that, we can see why A pastor who perverts truth will not repent when you confront him. We can see why the congregations won't repent. I know people who've gone to their Baptist relatives and brought truth from God, and the relative said to them, where is that in the scripture? And this one woman told the relative, but she didn't change any. She just kept going to the Baptist church. Antichrist. All this is Antichrist. Antichrist does not repent. But it was ordained by God to happen before Jesus returned. Well, if it's ordained by God, we can rejoice because 
we know it's of God. It's all set up in the plan of God. It will bring destruction upon these churches, but it's set up by the plan of God. They didn't love the word of God enough to depart from that church. They loved the church more than they loved the word of God. We'll read about that. It's in 2 Thessalonians chapter 2. Starting at verse 3, Let no man deceive you by any means, for that day of the Lord shall not come, except there come a falling away first. In 1982, I was reading this passage of scripture, and I heard clearly, the falling away are not people leaving the church. The falling away are churches leaving the scriptures and setting up other doctrines. Let no man deceive you by any means, for that day of the Lord shall not come, except there come a falling away first, and that man of sin be revealed, the son of perdition. This is not one person. This is like a devil who operates in many people. We know that because John told us that in 1 John chapter 2. He said, you've heard of Antichrist. There are already many Antichrist. He said, they left us, but there are already many Antichrist. In the early church, they clung to doctrine at first. Paul even said in Acts 20, as soon as I depart, men among you talking to the elders, they'll rise up to speak perverse doctrines to draw away disciples after themselves. But as long as Paul was there and as long as John was there, Antichrist couldn't rise up in those churches because the apostles wouldn't permit it. There are apostles today who fight it also. But it is ordained at the end of the time that these churches would be taken over by Antichrist. So Paul says, Let no man deceive you by any means, for that day of the Lord shall not come, except there come a falling away first, and that man of sin be revealed, the son of perdition, who opposeth and exalteth himself above all that is called God or that is worshipped so that he as God sits in the temple of God, showing himself that he is God. I don't know any church group that shows themselves more to be God than the faith movement. What do they, what do they teach? Well, if you have faith, find a scripture, stand on that scripture, and you can get what you want. That's being your own God. I spent several years in the faith movement, five at least. Never once did I ever hear anybody mention the will of God. It was, find a scripture to stand on. I thought I was like them. And once I said to our Bible teacher, well, I thought I was like everybody here. And he said, Joan, you've never been like anybody here. The difference between me and the faith movement was this. I was standing on scripture. But it was scripture that I heard from the Holy Spirit to show me the way to go, so that I could go in the way of God. They were standing on Scripture to get things that they wanted. Now, once I stood on a Scripture to get something that I wanted, I wanted to marry. And I found a Scripture in, I believe, Isaiah that says, None shall want her mate. 
and I faithfully claimed that scripture every morning. I wrote it in the front of my Bible along with other scriptures, and every morning I would pray it. I would claim it. And the prayer group was praying for me to marry, and my best friend at first was praying for me to marry, but then she heard a word from God. My grace is sufficient for her. It didn't happen in my life. Now, they, they would say, if it didn't happen, you didn't have enough faith. It didn't happen because it wasn't the will of God for me. Most people will marry, but I had a calling on my life, and I was going to be sent another direction. Finally, I agreed with God to go as I am. And then everything was fine. It has to be the will of God for your life. And if it's the will of God for your life, and you pray the will of God, it's going to be answered. Once again, that scripture and that promise is in 1 John chapter 5. That if we pray according to his will, he hears us. And if he hears us, we know we have what we have prayed. In the year 2017, God gave me more information about Antichrist being in the church. He said, when the restraint of against Antichrist is removed, then Antichrist moves into the church. I had remembered that in the NASB, that word restraint was used in 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, verse 6. And you know what restrains him, Antichrist, and you know what restrains Antichrist now, so that in his time he will be revealed. And I sat there and kind of said to God, well, what is it that restrains Antichrist? And I very clearly had my eyes opened by God. The scriptures restrain Antichrist. They keep him out of the church. As long as the church does the scriptures, Antichrist can't come in. NASB, 2 Thessalonians, start at verse 6. And you know what restrains Antichrist now, so that in his time he will be revealed. For the mystery of lawlessness is already at work. Only he who now restrains will do so until he is taken out of the way. Who is this he? Jesus, the Word. The minute they remove the Word and set up another doctrine, they put another Jesus in. And that was the restraint and when that was removed, Antichrist could move into the churches and set up whatever doctrine he wanted to. And that's why we have all these denominations, because Antichrist has moved into the churches. Verse 7, for the mystery of lawlessness is already at work. Only he who now restrains, which is Jesus, will do so until he is taken out of the way. Jesus, the word, is removed so Antichrist could move in. Then that lawless one will be revealed. Well, he's revealed by the things 
they follow. They follow different doctrines now from the doctrines of the New Testament Bible. They explain away doctrines of the New Testament Bible. Or they never speak those doctrines to you. They speak happy things. Like, I'm okay, you're okay. The blood of Jesus saves us. Do what you want. God forgives you. He wants you to be happy. So large masses of people come to church. I went to a luncheon one time, a dinner one time, at a Texas Tech Museum. We had assigned seatings at the dinner. I was horrified when I approached the table to which I was assigned because I was to be seated next to a man who was wearing around his neck the largest wooden cross I've ever seen. The cross had to have been at least eight inches long. I knew I was going to be in trouble. I sat down and the man began speaking immediately. He introduced himself to everybody at the table. We had round tables, seated probably eight to ten people. And he said he was former pastor of Indiana Street Baptist Church. And then he said, we have such a problem at the church. And we just can't solve this problem. Well, then everybody looked up wanting to know what the problem was. He said, we have so many people trying to come to church that we just can't seat all of them. We've added on to the auditorium three times and we still cannot seat all the people who are trying to come to church. I spoke up and said, well, if you would teach what Jesus says in the Bible, in Matthew 5.32, that the man who marries a divorced woman commits adultery, then about half of the people would leave you and you wouldn't have any trouble seating the people at your church. The man's mouth fell open. I got up and fled. I didn't stay for the dinner. I'd paid for the dinner. I didn't stay for the dinner. I wasn't going to sit by that man through dinner. Now this leads us to another problem, which is so important. You just can't stay with those church people when they deny scripture. You can't follow God that way. Titus chapter 3, verses 10 and 11. Some of you have given messages over and over and over to your church relatives. And they haven't changed. They haven't followed the scripture. Titus chapter 3 verses 10 and 11 tells you what you have to do. A man that is an heretic after the first and second admonition rejects. Don't keep sending him teachings. Reject him. Walk away from it. Just disappear. But you see, we want the association with those fleshly people who go to church. We want that association. But we can't do it. A man that is an heretic after the first and second admonition Reject, knowing that he 
that is such is subverted, and sinneth, being condemned of himself. There was a time in the early, uh, well, 19, well, 2020, no, excuse me, 2002, that I played bridge in Lubbock at the Duplicate Bridge Center. One of my partners was a Catholic woman. She liked me, and often she would ask me to go to dinner with her, and I went. Finally, I sent her an email telling her what Jesus says in Matthew chapter 23, verse 9. Call no man your father, but one is your father. Only God is your father. I didn't hear from her for about three weeks. And then I received an email message from her saying, Thank you for your message. And then she went on to talk about secular things. But what does she do with that message? She kept going to the Catholic Church calling those men father. Later, I received information about idolatry in the churches, the Protestants as well as the Catholic. By that time, I was living in the state of Colorado, and she lives in Texas. That's 450 miles away from where I live. I sent her that message on idolatry in the churches, but I mailed it to her by U.S. mail. I felt it was too easy for her to delete an email, but she would likely open a letter from me that came through U.S. mail. After I sent that letter, I didn't hear from her anymore for a year and a half or so. In 2020, I received an email from her, and with great trepidation, I opened it, because I know Titus chapter 3 now. I know this is a scripture that I have been doing. It's not like it used to be for me, because we learn a scripture, and we change, and we go the way of the scripture. A man that is an heretic after the first and second admonition Reject him. Don't associate with him. Walk away from him. No more birthday cards. No more friendly greetings. Walk away. And I knew I would do that where she was concerned. So with great trepidation, I opened her email. But she didn't write a word in it. All she did was send me animal pictures. She wanted to renew a fleshly friendship with me. And this was her way of extending an invitation for me to return to talking with her on the phone or visiting with her or being around her by emails. I did not even look at the animal pictures as much as I love animals. I just deleted her email without opening it because I didn't want to be enticed into a, so to speak, friendship with this woman who doesn't care about Scripture, though she faithfully attends her church group. When you meditate upon Scripture, 
it becomes so powerful in you that it overcomes your own flesh. Our flesh wants to associate with them. Our flesh wants to even approve them in their sin in the churches. But the scripture will take us another way. Well, I've been working very diligently for several months with this scripture in Titus and with another scripture in Proverbs chapter 1 because I want to go in the way of God and I know I can't go that way unless the scripture gets so strong in me that it overcomes me because our own flesh wants the friendship with the church person who is disobeying scripture. The Apostle Paul said, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Christ is the word. Through that word given to him by God, it enabled Paul to go in a way that denied his own flesh and his own preferences. And that's the way it is with us. When that word gets strong enough in us, And we think about that word long enough, and we want to obey the word. But we know our flesh is very dangerous in taking us the wrong way. Meditate in the word of God until it overcomes you. But you better keep meditating in it because you'll have opportunities in the flesh to return to that friendship. And the flesh is very, very weak. Paul once said in, I believe it's uh, Romans chapter 7, he said he was sure that there was no good thing in his flesh. And I am too. And I know it won't improve. The flesh is flesh. It does the things of the flesh, which are told us in Galatians chapter 5, the works of the flesh are adultery, fornication, lasciviousness, It lists all the works of the flesh, anger, malice, hatred, competitions, trying to beat out other people. All of these things are fleshly, and the flesh loves to do it. And it never gets to the point it doesn't love to do it. The only thing that overcomes my flesh is Scripture. And the only thing I can win out over my own flesh is by meditating in the word of God, until it gets so strong that I will deny my flesh and will not let it do what I want to do and go in the way of the scripture. And it takes meditating in it day and night. Every morning I have to read these scriptures I am storing up. Every evening I examine myself by those scriptures to see if I obeyed them. That's what it takes to follow God. Well, we'll close with Proverbs chapter 1. During the coronavirus, I had become very interested in the news reports. I rarely watched television news in the days before coronavirus. This thing interests me so much, I would turn on CNN and watch the report. But CNN was so often trying to stir up hatred against the President of the United States, Mr. Trump, And I know that in the Bible, Paul said, pray for those in authority. I'm very non-political. I'm not registered to vote. I'm not going to vote for these men. 
If you wish them well by your vote, you become partaker of their evil deeds. Why, that's just a worldly thing when it says you have to vote. We don't read that in the Bible, that we have to vote. But Paul did tell Timothy to pray for those in authority in order that we could live in peace. So I'm not a political person. I'm not for either party. I'm not registered to vote, and I won't vote, and I don't vote. Well, if Hitler was in charge, I might vote because he would threaten to torture me, and my flesh is so weak it wouldn't want to be tortured. But fortunately, in the United States, we're not forced to vote. Though we are shamed a great deal by the world if they find out we don't vote, and the churches are eaten up by voting. They even have voter registration at one of the Baptist churches where a friend of mine went. She was the most political person I've ever met. She came to me one time and said, Oh, we had a great day at church Sunday. I got to register my granddaughter to vote. I couldn't believe they were having voter registration at the Baptist church. Well, things happen in politics, and the last word I had from this woman is, I've decided there's no hope in politics. Something displeased her. And I said, well, no, there isn't any hope in politics. We are not of governments of men. We are of God, if we belong to God. We're just passing through this world in hopefully a godly way. We can't trust in governments of men. We trust in God and God's word. Let's uh, speak here at the ending about Proverbs 1. Because I got onto this proverb because I wanted to get free from watching television news. I had gotten entangled in watching it during the coronavirus. And I saw the hatred that was being stirred up by the newscasters. And I did not want to participate in the hatred. I needed to get free. And I saw Proverbs 1. And I knew I could get free if I stayed in this scripture long enough. Verse 10. My son, if sinners entice thee, consent thou not. Don't go with them. Well, I knew these men on television, CNN, were stirring up hatred deliberately. They were rushing out to find stories that would entice people against President Trump. My son, if sinners entice thee, consent thou not. Verse 15. Walk not thou in the way with them. Refrain thy foot from their path. Don't watch them. Don't listen to them. Don't put yourself in the congregation of the wicked at churches where they won't obey God. For their feet run to evil and make haste to shed blood. It took me several months working on this scripture, thinking about it day and night, before I could get free from the enticement that I felt on those newscasts. I don't turn them on now, not CNN. I do watch NBC a little bit, but they don't have quite as strong political as the CNN. 
We have to free ourselves. And it's the scriptures that free us. If you are around a relative who's a churchgoer and they won't hear the doctrine from the Bible, you have to free yourself. And your flesh very much wants to stay with them. You can't do it. It's just like Abraham. What did God say to Abraham in Genesis 12? The promise to Abraham was given if he walked out and left his father's house. Abraham did that. God made him a father of many nations. We have to do these scriptures. We not only have to do the scriptures, really we want to do the scriptures. We just have to get the scriptures strong enough in us so that they rule over our own flesh. For the flesh is very strong that's in us. We cannot live the way of the world and walk in the way of God. It's impossible. All of this living by debt, by paying off credit cards, by charging everything, by living beyond your means, by getting a new car and having to wait in food lines to get food because you've lost your job. That's a way of the world. Getting as big a mortgage as you possibly can get. That's a way of the world. You're going to be Go down with the world if you live that way. You have to live instead in the way of God. I've recorded quite a few messages on getting out of debt and staying out of debt. You can go back and listen to those. But if you're interested in getting out of debt and staying out of debt and going in the way of God, immerse yourself in 1 Timothy chapter 6 where Paul talks about the evils of debt, of the love of money and you will have a love of money if you are in debt because you have to pay off that debt you have to be thinking about money how can I pay off this debt and often you'll be led into jobs that you should never be in because of the money and you will end up working in places that you hate to get that money because of that debt Ooh, it's such a wrong way to go if you're interested in this subject, I have quite a few recordings on this. You can look at the recordings and you'll find recordings about the subject of debt and money. But you can go to the scriptures and see for yourself the way to go, which is stated for us in 1 Timothy chapter 6. Thank you for letting me speak with you today.